Well, if you would, this morning I'm going to have you take your Bibles and turn to the very same passage that we were in last week, and that is Titus chapter 2 and verses 11 through 15. Titus chapter 2 and verses 11 through 15. If you're visiting with us this morning, we are in the midst of a year-long series towards the end of it now. We'll be ending at the end of December on what is a disciple. We call ourselves disciples. We think of ourselves as disciples of Jesus. But what is a disciple according to the Bible? And we've been looking at that. And I have saved one of the most important subjects in this series till towards the end. And we started last week with part one, and this is part two, both looking at the same passage of Scripture, a disciple and the authority of the Bible. Boy, it's hard to think of a subject more important than this for all of us as the people of God, a disciple and the authority of the Bible. I said to you last week, and I repeat again this week, that of all the things we should be thankful for, we should be most thankful for the Bible. Now, some of you may say, well, shouldn't we be most thankful for God himself? Shouldn't we be most thankful for our salvation? And boy, we are so thankful for God himself, and we are thankful for our salvation. But as I challenged us last week, without the Bible, I don't know who God is. Without the Bible, I don't know what God has accomplished for me in his son, Jesus Christ. So I don't know anything about salvation apart from the Bible. Oh, let us be so thankful that we have the Bible, the revealed word of God, in our own language, our own heart language, in a way that we can understand it and obey it. Oh, let us be thankful for that as much as anything in all of life. Well, since this is part two, and I realize maybe some of you weren't here last week, I know with Thanksgiving people are coming and going, and maybe we have some visitors with us this morning, let me just briefly review what I shared last week, just to bring you up to date. And so our first point this morning is a brief review. A disciple of Jesus must submit himself or herself to the full authority of the Bible. Again, this is one of the most critical issues that we will ever face as the children of God. Do I believe? Do I believe that the Bible is the truth of God from the first word of Genesis to the last word of Revelation? That is a question that you must answer in your heart and in your mind. You must. If you are to be a disciple of Jesus, this is a question you must settle in your mind and in your heart. Oh, there are parts of the Bible that are still hard for me to understand, things that I continue to study, things that might be a little more difficult, but I must, I must settle in my soul that this is the very truth of God himself. And what we did last week is we looked at an example, verses 11 through 14 in Titus chapter 2, an example of why the Bible is so important. In Titus 2, 11 through 14, we have one of the greatest passages, not the only one, but one of the greatest passages in all of the New Testament on how a disciple is to live his or her life. It is very important passage of Scripture. Maybe some of you have even memorized this particular passage. 
And we see in verse 11 of Titus 2, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. The Bible teaches us, and this is how we know it, the only way we know it. The Bible teaches us that the foundational truth for living the Christian life is the grace of God. We would not be here this morning if it were not for the grace of God. The grace of God is God's unmerited favor and kindness towards sinful men and women who have believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It is God not giving us what we deserve, but rather giving us his grace, his kindness, his mercy. We deserve the judgment and wrath of God, but instead he has made us his own sons and daughters. He has forgiven us. He has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. We have all the spiritual benefits that are ours in Christ, and we have it all because of grace. And so the Bible says, or Paul writes to Titus, who was a pastor on the island of Crete in Greece, he says to him, for the grace of God has appeared. And as I shared with you last week, the grace of God isn't just a divine gift. It is a divine person. Jesus Christ is grace. He is the grace of God himself. And let us be thankful for Jesus and the grace of God that we have through him each and every day of our lives. Let it be shouted from the mountaintops. The grace of God has appeared. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Christ has accomplished a full and free salvation that is available to everyone who will believe, to all of us who will believe, people in every people group across this world. It is available, the salvation of God is available to the rich and is available to the poor. It is available to the powerful and the powerless. It is available to the famous and to the anonymous. It is available to all people everywhere for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. But we learn something else from the Bible. We learn something in this book of Titus that we really don't learn in quite the same way from any other passage. And that is the grace of God is our trainer. It is our instructor. It is our teacher. Every day, the grace of God, the, un the unmerited kindness and favor of God towards sinful men and women who have believed in Jesus Christ as Savior, the, the grace of God is our trainer. It is training us how to be good disciples. In verse 12, it says, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. The grace of God trains us to live a righteous life. As we experience the unmerited, undeserved favor of God, we want to live for him. Secondly, we learned the grace of God trains us to look for and long for the second coming of Jesus. As we look for the coming of Jesus, it purifies us. It helps us to be a holy people. In verse 13, it says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a statement on the deity of Jesus. Our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. We are waiting. Folks, right now we are waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of our great God 
and Savior. And third, the grace of God trains us to be a joyful people who do as much good for as many people as we possibly can. Oh, we realize that we have salvation in Christ. He has made us a redeemed people. And therefore, we want to do good all over the world for as many people as we possibly can. Let it be said that Christians are the most compassionate, loving, and kind people on the face of the earth. Let the light of Jesus shine through you in your good works. In verse 14, it says of Jesus, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. We honed in on that word last week. Zealous, passionate, excited, joyful about doing good to all people that we come in contact with. And then we ended last week by saying we are to take the teachings of this passage and declare them with all authority. And that brings us to this morning. This morning, we are going to focus our attention on Titus 2.15. As I shared with you last week, this morning, we want to look at just one verse. Just one verse, verse 15, where Paul writes to Titus and says, Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. I want to repeat a quote that I shared with you last Sunday morning. John MacArthur, in his commentary on the book of Titus, says this about verse 15. This single verse is one of the clearest and strongest statements in Scripture about the spiritual authority of men whom God calls to minister his word and shepherd his people. The phrase, with all authority, is the foundational truth both for what precedes and what follows it in this verse. What a bold statement. This verse, he says, is one of the clearest and strongest statements in Scripture about the spiritual authority of men who preach God's word and shepherd God's people. And so Paul says, declare these things. Declare them. These things refers to what he just said in verses 11 through 14. And actually in the context, it refers to everything that Paul has just said in verses 1 through 14. Declare these things. And we could certainly broaden it to say, whatever the teachings are in the word of God. From Genesis to Revelation, declare these things. The word declare could be translated, preach, announce, Reveal or disclose. Preach these things. Announce these things. This is a reference to careful and faithful biblical preaching and teaching where we take the precious truths of the word of God and we faithfully and carefully preach them and teach them as often as opportunity allows. We think of that well-known verse in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, where Paul, writing to Timothy, says this, Preach the word. Preach the word. Be prepared. In season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage. Now watch this. With great patience and careful instruction. That's what declare these things means. Preach the word with great patience and careful instruction. He says, exhort and rebuke. Really, those are almost identical words, only one is positive and the other is negative. Exhort is a very positive word. It means 
plead with people about the things taught in the Word of God. Encourage them. Show them how to obey from the Word of God. Help them to find joy. Help them to find peace. Help them to find courage in the Word of God. Exhort them with the teachings of Scripture. Rebuke, of course, is a negative word for those who have wandered into sin. To those who are prone to sin, who may be living a life of sin, oh, with love, with compassion, with tenderness, call them back to righteousness. Show them the error of their ways. Rebuke them and show them that God's way is the way that he wants them to live. But then we come to that important phrase, and it is with all authority. With all authority, do these things. Declare these things. Let me give you a very simple definition of what it means to declare these things with all authority. It means to declare the very words of God himself. That's what it means. That when you are teaching, whether it's in a small group Bible study, a one-on-one counseling session, or preaching from a pulpit, may you be overwhelmed with the thought that you are teaching the very words of God himself. And that's why he says, let no one disregard you. Let no one disregard you. This could refer to people outside the church, but it more specifically refers to people in the church. Let no one mock the word of God. Let no one belittle the word of God. Let no one question that this is the word of God among his people. Let no one, Titus, let no one disregard you. Preach with all authority. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus' most famous sermons found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, at the very end of chapter 7, in verses 28 and 29, this is what we read. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. And here's why. Here's why. Because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Do you know why they were amazed at Jesus' teaching? Because Jesus taught as one who has authority. This is not on the screen this morning, but in John chapter 7, Jesus said to the Jewish people, to the crowds that listened to him, he said, I have come to speak the words of God himself. I do not speak on my own. And those who do the will of God will know whether my words are from God or whether I speak on excuse me on my own Jesus came to deliver the very words of the triune godhead father son and holy spirit and if that's all that Jesus would speak shouldn't it be the same for us shouldn't we speak the very words of God himself shouldn't that have central place in everything we do as a church J.I. Packer, one of the great theologians of this past century, in an article entire, entire, excuse me, entitled Preachers and Preaching, writes this very interesting quote. He says, The Bible is the real preacher. And the role of the man in the pulpit or the counseling conversations or conversation is simply to let the passages speak through him. For the preacher to reach the point where he no longer hinders or obstructs his text from speaking 
is harder work than is sometimes realized. However, there can be no disputing that this is the task, and he is so right. Folks, this is the task where the preacher no longer hinders or obstructs his text from speaking. That the role of the man in the pulpit or in the counseling conversation is to let the passage speak through him. Another writer put it this way, the Bible teacher must put himself out of the way and let God's word speak through him. Folks, that's the goal. Whatever level you teach at, Whatever level you teach at, I don't care if it's children, youth, or adults, the goal of the teacher, the goal of the preacher is to get out of the way and let the text speak for itself. You explain exactly what that text of Scripture means. And I just want to say to every one of you here, as my brothers and sisters in Christ, we have no authority apart from the Bible. We don't. We don't have any authority apart from the Bible itself. However, even as Christians, even as evangelical born-again Christians, sometimes we find ourselves relying on other sources of authority rather than the Bible, and this can be a very subtle thing. And so our second point this morning is false sources of authority. I want to give you four examples of things we must be careful of, even as Christians, that they don't become our authority rather than the Bible itself. I just want you to think through these things with me. First, a religious leader is not a source of authority. History is filled with strong personalities. Just recently, Charles Manson died. And for the, those of us who are a little older, we remember well the power of that man over the people who followed him, even to the point of having them obey his commands to murder other people. He is a classic example of what charisma and a powerful personality can do. But folks, that's not just out there. That can also happen in the church. The only reason that false teachers continue to thrive is because people listen to them. The only reason that false teachers continue to sell books and to have a following is because people listen to them. But all of us must be careful, even with good preachers, even with good Bible-teaching preachers, we must all be careful and we must all admit to ourselves that we are susceptible to the person with charisma and great communication skills. We are. And there's nothing wrong with listening to good preaching. I encourage you to do so, but we must be careful that we don't find ourselves saying what so-and-so said what Pastor so-and-so said, rather than this is what the Bible says. And I just want to caution all of us. Maybe you have a favorite preacher, and you listen to him a lot online or with DVDs. Nothing wrong with that. But be careful that he doesn't become your source of authority rather than the Bible itself. We must always be Bereans. Always. We must check 
to make sure that what is being preached is truly from the word of God. A religious leader is not your source of authority. Second, a church or religious organization is not a source of authority. The church is very important, but it is not our source of authority. Throughout the history of the church, there have been particular denominations and groups or cults who have claimed to be the one true church, who have claimed to be the only ones who have the real truth of God, and they're the only ones who are able to interpret it. And folks, let me tell you this morning, the one true church is every believer in Jesus Christ around the world that is manifested in local congregations that meet together around the world. That's the only one true church, is those, all of us, who have trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We are the universal church of God manifesting itself in local congregations. One of, let me give you an example this morning, one of the long-standing historical disagreements between biblical Protestant Christianity and the Catholic Church has been this very issue of authority. We believe that the Bible is our own authority and that the church is underneath the Bible completely. If we are shown clearly from Scripture that something we do is wrong, we must be willing to change it. The Catholic Church has taught that there are two authorities. One is the Bible and the other is the church. And that the church, and especially the leader of the church, the Pope, speaks ex, what is known as ex cathedra, which means from the chair or from the throne. It means he speaks directly from God. And that the magisterium within the Catholic Church speaks directly from God. So that their um, encyclicals, their councils have equal authority with the Bible. And we reject that. And we disagree with them on that. We believe that the church must come underneath the Bible. Here's the interesting thing. Certain groups want to say they're the only church or that the church is the one that has the authority. The reason, folks, stay with me here. The reason the church, the only reason the church plays such an important role in the life of a disciple is because it is so clearly taught in the Bible. The reason we come to church to worship, to teach the word of God, to fellowship together is because the Bible tells us to do so. Our authority is the Bible. We have church. We meet as the church. We know we are the church only because the Bible tells us so. Here's the irony. You know why we come to church? We come to church to be reminded that our only true authority is the Word of God. The reason we meet together as a church is to remind ourselves every week that our only true authority is the Word of God. So no church or organization is a source of authority. Third example. A person's intellectual abilities or academic achievement is not a source of authority. There will always be, there will always be liberal scholars and liberal theologians who, in, who attack the integrity and accuracy of the Bible. It's very important. 
I want us all to be reminded of who we are. You know who we are? We are puny, finite, sinful men and women. How dare we place ourselves above the word of God? How dare we become the critics of God's precious, revealed word? And yet, throughout my adult life as a Christian, I hear often of people, men and women who grew up in churches just like ours, who say, I don't believe that stuff anymore. I don't think the Bible is the word of God. They read some book. They listened to some speaker who influenced them, who caused them to question whether this really is the word of God, to question whether or not we can believe the Bible. And I just want to say to all of you, never, ever, ever lose your childlike faith and innocence. This is the word of God. It proclaims itself to be the word of God. We think historically of the Renaissance and the Enlightenment where man's mind was elevated to almost a place of deity, where reason and logic became an end in itself, that mankind, if he only has enough information, if he only has enough facts, he will be able to solve all of his own problems, which evolved into secular humanism, which continues to thrive in our own day. And we must be careful because that person with the PhD, that person that sounds so reasonable, wants to influence you to deny or discredit everything you have believed. There is a huge difference, folks, a huge difference between asking honest questions and elevating your mind above the Bible. Nothing wrong with asking honest questions. We all may say at times, I don't know why God allowed this to happen. There are some things that God does that I may struggle with, but I trust in his character. I trust in who he is. I know that he is God, and I am not. That is very different than saying, I'm not sure this is true at all. How dare God do this, or how dare God do that? Who does he think he is? God is so unfair. God is so cruel. God is so harsh. Oh, we must be careful. Be careful, folks, where you let your mind go when it comes to the word of God. A person's intellectual abilities or academic achievement is not a source of authority. And then a fourth example, and this one may be the most important for a church like ours. A person's personal experience is not a source of authority. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me here. I believe personal experience in the Christian faith is very important. When we are converted, when we come to know Christ as Savior, it can be a very intense, emotional, personal experience. As we walk with God, we experience in a very real way his intimacy, his peace, his courage, his strength. However, your personal experience must always be solidly grounded in the Bible. Okay? Your personal experience must always be solidly grounded in the Bible. 
The Bible is the place where you validate your experience. Let me give you an example. Sensitive subject within Christianity has been for quite a few years the whole issue of speaking in tongues. Is speaking in tongues that we find in the New Testament, is that something that was a temporary sign gift in a transitional period in the Bible until the Bible was complete or what we would call the canon of Scripture was complete? Or is it a relevant sign gift today that all Christians should be participating in? That has been a debate. And I just want you to know, I have no problem sitting down with someone and discussing the whole issue of tongues as long as we use the Bible as our authority. What is frustrating for me is when someone says to me, I don't care what you say, I've done it. I've spoken in tongues. Don't tell me it's not real. Don't tell me it's not from God because I've done it. And then they shut off anyone who may seek to question them or disagree with them. Some people say, some Christians say, you know what? God told me something. Or I had a dream about something. And I'm thinking, I'm not sure that's in the Bible. If you can't find it in Scripture, God didn't tell you to do it. Let me say that again. If you don't find it in Scripture, God didn't tell you to do it. I don't care what kind of dream you had. If it cannot be solidly verified by Scripture, it's not from God. I continue to be amazed, amazed at how Christians will buy books by the hundreds, if not the thousands, by people who said they went to heaven and came back. Really? And I'm thinking, so much of what is written in those books isn't found anywhere in the Bible. But they say, yeah, but Pastor Tim, she went to heaven and came back. He went to heaven and came back. Folks, I say to you again, if it's not in the Bible, it's not true. Your spiritual experience must be solidly grounded in the Bible, whether it happens in your home, in a church, or on the mission field. Your experience must be rooted completely in Scripture for it to be truly from God. Well, let me try to bring last week and this week together. For every disciple of Jesus Christ, your only true source of authority is the Bible. If you claim to be a disciple of Jesus this morning, a follower of our, a follower of our Lord and Savior, then your authority, your sole authority for faith and practice is the Bible itself. But I want you to know something. You will always be tested on whether or not you really believe it. In every age of history, God's people have been and continue to be tested about whether or not they really believe the Bible. The issues may change from time period to time period, but those issues are always there. Now, I'm not just talking to preachers. Some of you may say, boy, Pastor Tim, you better preach the word of God and we're going to hold you accountable and we're going to hold all four pastors accountable for preaching the word of God here. And I say to that, amen, you better hold us accountable. However, this isn't just for the four of us. This is for you as well. If you're a Sunday school teacher, small group leader, home Bible study leader, you counsel people one-on-one, -on -one, 
You're a mom or a dad who teaches the Bible to your children. You're a grandma or grandpa who teaches the Bible to your children. Let me say something this morning. We're all on trial. All of us are on trial. Do we really believe what the Bible says? Our day and age is a perfect example. There is a very serious debate out there over what is marriage. Can marriage be anything we want it to be? Or is marriage something that can be defined only by God himself? Huge debate. There's a huge debate over there, out there, about human sexuality. Can human sexuality be anything we want it to be with no boundaries or limits? There is a serious debate over the, out there about gender identity. Is gender identity fluid? Or is it something that is designed by God that is unchangeable? Very serious debate. There is deba a debate out there over what is or how important a human life is from the time of conception till the time of death. Serious debate on this issue. Is the life in the womb and the life at the end of life, are they important? Is there such a thing as the sanctity of human life? Huge, important debate out there over how this world came to be. Is there a sovereign designer of this world or is it simply a evolutionary process guided by mere chance? I want to tell you folks, that's not just a debate from the first part of the last century with the Scopes trial. That's a very important debate right now. Right now, the question is, do you believe what the Bible says on those issues? You are being tested. All of us are. We are. Some of you parents, if you have an adult child who's wandered away from the Lord, are you willing in love, in compassion, to tell that child what the Bible says about their lifestyle or about their behavior? You see, all of us have to answer the question, what is our authority? And what do we believe? The hymn writer once said this, How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? I say to all of us this morning, how firm a foundation O oh, saints of the Lord, is laid for our faith in his excellent word. Let us preach it and teach it, believe it and live it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the Bible. Thank you for revealing yourself so clearly to us. Help us. Help us by your grace to be the faithful proclaimers of your word, to declare all these things with all authority in our generation, in our time of history.
for we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.